You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. those pictures that used to be in doctor's office or dentist's office and they had like all these little tiny pixelated things on it and when you stared at it it was like two-dimensional and then if you really looked at it funny and weird and all of a sudden this like 3d image would pop out at you do y'all remember those so yeah here's an example of one i really tried to do this one and i can't get it to work so maybe you all can but uh, so this is called, there's a fancy term for these. If you didn't know this, I just found this out when I was looking up what these were called. It's called an autostereogram. Did y'all know that? They had a fancy name, not just those weird 3D things, right? It's an autostereogram. And uh, the, the, as I was looking up and researching this a little bit, I, I, they, there's a phrase that, that jumped out at me as it was describing these. And it says, it, it's a 3D scene. The 3D scene in an autostereogram is often unrecognizable until it is viewed properly. And I, I mean, I tried, they gave me examples on, they're like, you gotta like cross your eyes or you gotta like look through it. I tried all those things and I was still not popping out. But that I love this phrase that it's unrecognizable until it's viewed properly. And this, this autostereogram concept was coming to mind as I sat at Starbucks with my Bible and I was reading this scripture that I was supposed to talk about today. We're still in the series in Romans 12. And I read the words and I thought, okay, well, how am I gonna do a message out of that? It's just, I mean, this is like a checklist. Paul's given us kind of a checklist here. And I thought, I think I'm okay in these areas. So um, I'm not sure. So then I reread it and I read it again. And I started to like, die, like look at each phrase. And can I tell you that the Holy Spirit began to read my life. And this was a whole different way of reading this. Instead of just seeing words that looked like a checklist and moving on, as I stared at it, as I looked at it, as I tried to look into it and, and it looked into my life, the Holy Spirit looked into my life, there was an image that began to come out of this. And I could see what I looked like compared to this and I needed to change some things. The Lord was speaking to me. This is the beautiful way that we read God's word when we really look at it, we can't always see it. It's sometimes what we need to see is unrecognizable until we view it properly, until we really look at it and let the Holy Spirit read our life. So you're gonna be tempted today because I was too. You're gonna be tempted today to think, well, that's really important for someone else. Right? And you're gonna have those people in your mind, like think, okay, I know who needs that. I hope they're listening. You're gonna be tempted to do that today. But I'm gonna sincerely ask that you would say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to see in here? When you read my life today and, and, and look at these words that are in scripture, when you read my life, are they true of me or not? And what might you not recognize in your life until you view God's word properly? So in Romans 12, we've, we've been looking at these passages and Paul has been addressing how we are to treat each other, 
Like in the church, how are we to treat each other? And then he pivots in verses 14 through 16 that we're gonna look at today. He pivots just a bit and he more addresses how are we to treat those outside of the church? Now, I'm gonna say this. I think that Paul kind of thought it was a given that we in the church would treat each other in the words we're gonna read. But this is just given, we already do that. We gotta think about how we do it outside of these walls. I don't know if that's still true. I don't know if it is true that there's a difference in how we treat each other and how we treat people outside. So I would invite you today to open your heart to say, do I do that well in here? And do I do it well out there? as we read. So let's look at the, at the verses we have. So Romans 12, 14 through 16, uh, this is what it says. This is what Paul says to us. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. You know, we have been invited into a faith that doesn't just talk about it, but we've been invited to a faith that lives what we, that puts it into practical terms and practical application. And that is, that is what we've been invited to. At the beginning of Romans 12, of this chapter we've been, we've been really focusing in on and seeing what comes out of it, uh, Paul appeals to us. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And he follows that with don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So Paul is, is saying, I want you to be different from them. And the way you do that is by being a living sacrifice. And can I tell you, I think we prefer rights, not sacrifice, right? Sacrifice, that doesn't seem fair. Sacrifice isn't fair, right? But we prefer rights, not sacrifices, because it's not fair. But Paul did not say to us to present yourself as an individual highly deserving of fairness and rights. He said to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's holy and acceptable to God. Living sacrifice means this isn't going to be easy. I have never heard someone who made a sacrifice and be like, well, that was really easy. <laughs> sacrifice is not meant to be. It's not meant to be the easiest thing you've ever done. It's meant to cost you something. Right, and we are called to be living sacrifices. It's meant to look different from the world we live in when we live like that and to point people to God. As living sacrifices, we still live in our society, but with a different set of values and, a different, and different goals. And that's what then points them to the Father. So Paul is gonna tell us in this, these next five phrases how to do that. Are you ready to get a little uncomfortable? This may make us uncomfortable, that's not bad. That means the Holy Spirit's at work, all right? Let's let him do his thing. So the first phrase here is bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now this phrase may have had a different perspective back when Paul was writing this because at that time, being a Christian meant that you often were under life-threatening situations or it was a life-impacting situation. To say you were a Christian wasn't always safe. Uh, and around them. And there are still places today in our world where that's the case. If you claim to know Jesus, you could have your life could be impacted, your life could even be threatened because of that. 
But so it would be easy to dismiss this, like bless those who, who persecute you. Oh, I don't really feel persecuted. So, you know, I'll just kind of skip this part. But to bring this home a little bit, can we talk about spiders? Can we do that? All right. So I read a fascinating book about insects and bugs, and um, I have learned a lot. But spiders, I don't like them. I really don't. I have a theory, and my family all knows it, that spiders will eat me. Um, they, I mean, you've seen this in movies. It happens, right? So, you know, that's real. Um, and so uh, I have this very much fear of spiders. I do not appreciate that they invade my home. They have the whole world and they still come into my house. You know, like this is not okay. I'm not okay with it. So they create an environment for me that does not feel safe. I do not feel safe with spiders. They terrify me and I, I, I feel like they invade, they're, they're, um, they're daunting, like it's like persecution, okay? Like this is just kind of what it's like with spiders. Now, I, I can easily see the part of like, I'm just, we need to curse the spiders. Like they are evil, they're awful, I don't like them. Yet, I have learned something. So in, in reading this book and in, in, from a, a report from the Science of Nature, they estimate that spiders consume 400 million to 800 million tons of insects per year. Per year, do y'all get this? 400 million to 800 million mosquitoes, flies, gnats, the things that drive you crazy, they're eating them. And to bring this even closer to home, we humans consume the same amount of meat and fish per year. We do 400 million um, tons of this, just like the spiders. We eat the same as the spiders, okay? Like we're, we're in sync with them. They are doing us a favor. So I have, as I learned this, I now realize I may need to bless them. You know, like spiders, okay, I bless you. I bless you outside of my home, maybe not in my home, right? But when I learned something different, now I'll tell you, the spiders and I are not gonna have the same views about where they do their business. Yeah, we do not. We do not share the same views on this. And I also feel very still uncomfortable around them. However, I can appreciate them. I can appreciate them and what they contribute to our world because it'd be a little out of control without them. Now, there is a quote from a commentary as I was preparing for today, and it says, humans are too prone to identify as God's enemies, those people who displease them. So often we have this tendency to think of those who think different than us, who believe different than us, who confront us on different issues as, well, you're God's enemy. You're God's enemy and just because you don't please me. And sometimes we, we have broadened this idea of persecution to this, this whole thing of you don't agree with me, you don't think like me, and so you're persecuting me, right? You're an enemy of God because you displease me. You know, I remember being in grad school for counseling and I was in a group counseling class and they had to put, they put us in groups. So we actually participate in a group ourselves to understand the dynamics of it. And there were certain individuals in this class who did not think like me at all. This was not a Christian grad school. And so, I mean, they clearly different lifestyles, different beliefs, um, completely different. And I had a few of them picked out in class who were kind of the dominant ones. And I was like, Lord, please don't put me in a group with that one or that one or that one. Cause that's gonna get uncomfortable. And of course, who was in my group? That one, that one, that one. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so we got in this group and I was like, this is not going to go well. 
I don't know what to do. I was afraid to even share what my beliefs were because I didn't know how they were going to react to it. I did not know what, what, how I was gonna be put down for it. And so through this experience, the Lord began to say, can you instead find something in them to honor? Can you find something in them that you can appreciate, that you can value? And so I began to listen to them different and, and find those things. And, and I, I began to say, okay, I can have some respect for this person. I, I, can, I can see this in them, even though I disagree. And at the end of the group, we were sharing comments and I was like, oh boy, I don't know what this is gonna go. But one of them spoke up and said, you know, Carrie, I didn't think we were gonna get along. And I'm thinking, I didn't either. <laughs> and uh, he, said, he said to me, he said, I didn't think we were gonna get along. He said, but you've shown me something different. You're all right. And that was all the Lord because I was ready to push back, right? I was ready to say, mm, you don't live right. And I had my judgment ready. And the Lord said, but could you respect them? Could you offer a blessing instead? And when we do that with people who we think are different than us or they don't live like God and so we think they're his enemies and they displease us, when we bless them, when we intentionally go to do that, to find respect in them, then we open up the opportunity for a conversation about the Lord. But until we do that, there's no openness for it. And so to, we offer a, a blessing, respect, peace, then, then we have this opportunity to point them to a savior. Living sacrifices, as Paul is calling us to be, a living sacrifice we, means we sacrifice comfort to extend blessing to others. Do you have someone like that in your life? Someone who doesn't think like you, someone who may even not agree with your faith, can you bless them? The next phrase is rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, in our culture, we kind of interpret this verse differently. So often how we say this verse is compare and feel less than with those who rejoice and experience good things and quickly remove yourself from feeling awkward with those who weep. This comes a lot in social media, right? We look at social media, boy, that's, I can't believe that good thing happened to them. They don't even deserve it. You know, or why does good things happen to everybody else except for me? Right? I, I, why, why doesn't this hit me? Why, why do they get all the good stuff? And we compare and we want, we feel less than when good things happen to someone. And it, conversely, when someone is, is weeping, when someone has had something happen that is painful or a loss, we think, okay, we just feel better, you know, because I'm going to back away because I don't know what to say. It's a little awkward. Right? And so we pull away. And this is absolutely not what Paul is talking about. When we live as living sacrifice, he said, you rejoice with those who have good things happen. And you weep with those who weep. And you know what? If you think this is hard, guess what? God had your back. He had your back. He gave you something in your brain that you may not even know is there. He has equipped us for life and godliness. And in this realm, he gave you what's called mirror neurons. Did you know you have those? So mirror neurons are in your mind and they, when someone is sad, when someone is struggling and their eyebrows tend to get kind of furrowed, have you ever noticed yours do it too? as you're listening, what's happening is your brain is mirroring what they are doing and your, your brain and says, wait a minute, your eyebrows are down in a furrowed thing. You do that when you're sad. I bet they're sad. This is the seed of empathy. 
God has created us with this, where when someone is hurting or struggling, we can understand it inside, we can empathize with it, and we can then say to them, I'm so sorry you're struggling. I'm so sorry you're hurting. We don't have to solve it, but we can be with them, we can weep with them. Also, if you've ever seen Phineas and Ferb, Okay, so great show um, where their eyebrows, when they're excited, they're like above their face, like super way off, the, off of their face, you know? Have you ever had somebody so excited about something that's happened to them or in their life and their eyebrows are way up here, you know? And like, you're just trying to get up there with them. Like you're just like trying. And this is, this is where we rejoice, even if it's not happening to you, that could you allow your eyebrows to go up and rejoice with them? You know, as... As people of Jesus, we are to be ministers of the presence of Jesus, right? When we are present with people and acknowledge the good and sit with them in the hard, there's actually chemical reactions that happen in their mind that calm everything down to their muscles down because we are present with them. You know, we have a phrase in our office at Cornerstone of Hope, we, we keep saying all the time, but you can do hard things. Did y'all know you can do hard things? You can do hard things. And so it, now it may not be easy to rejoice with somebody who has something good happen, but as a living sacrifice, you can. And it may not be easy to be present when someone is weeping and is hurting and has had loss and they are down or they're depressed, but you can stay with them and say, I see you, I know this hurts, you are not alone. You don't have to back away in awkwardness because living sacrifices do that. This is part of our calling. So living sacrifices, we sacrifice comfort to be present and to extend peace to others. The next phrase he says is to live in harmony with one another. Did you know that harmony doesn't mean same? It doesn't mean the same. There's this beauty that comes from taking what is distinct and different and making it work as one. My father-in-law sings barbershop, amazingly. They don't all sing the same all the time, but it sounds amazing when it all comes together. It's distinct and different and it works as one. Do you surround yourself with only people who look like you, live like you, share your same interests? If we do this, we don't have the opportunity to live in harmony. You know, living, do we live with people in a way that I may not see the same, I may not see every situation the same, I might not think the same, I might not have the same opinions, but could those differences work together? Could I learn from you? Could you learn from me? You know, one of the best ways to do this is get curious. That is one of the best ways to grow respect in our culture is to just get curious. Could you be curious? Why do they think that way? Just help me understand, like, where are you coming from? Like, that opinion you have, help me know where did they come from in you? How does, how does that resonate in you? Do, you? do we have this opportunity to get curious about why people think the way they do, where they're coming from, before we just make a quick judgment and live in disharmony? Braden and I were sitting on our back uh, porch one day and he was sharing uh, about an idea he had something and I was, I was telling him like, Brayden, I think that is just awesome. I think this is amazing. And he stopped me. Do, do your kids ever teach you something? Do they ever, do you ever learn? Okay, so Brayden stopped me and he said, mom, you know, you're always telling me the good. And I was like, well, yes, I mean, I think you're wonderful. <laughs> I love to share the good things. He said, but mom, you know what I really like? I really appreciate that I have friends who will tell me when it's not good. 
He said, I really appreciate having people who will tell me, Braden, maybe you need to think about this different, or maybe you need to, to see this different, or maybe this isn't as great as you think it is and it needs to be tweaked. My 18-year-old son is teaching me that he has learned to live in harmony. His friends, not all of them know Jesus, but he has learned to say, I can be curious about your thoughts on this. I can be curious about, okay, share with me where you're at. Share with me what you think. It might be different than mine. I can live in harmony. He's teaching me how to do this. So living sacrifices, we sacrifice comfort to get curious and to value differences. The next phrase that Paul says is, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Now I have heard some stories in my office at Cornerstone of people who are employees somewhere and they have had their bosses or their leaders share with them, hey, here are the values of our company. These are the values. And yet they do not see those leaders live out those values and thus they don't trust their leaders. And I got thinking about us as, as followers of Jesus. How often do we say verbally, the values that we live by are this, but we don't live them out? And do people then trust us and the savior we're talking about? One of the values that I don't think any Christians would, would debate over is that we have a value of compassion. I've never really heard a Christian say, no, I don't really value that. You know, I think, I think we have this similar value of valuing compassion. But I think, and as I, again, as I began to look at scripture and the, and the Lord began, the Holy Spirit began to read my life, I've been challenged on, do I hide behind that value? Can I say I, I value compassion? Absolutely. But do I do it? Do I actually do compassion? Do I value it enough to live it? So Paul says to associate with the lowly. Do you know what the word associate means here? It means to partner, befriend, or companion. It doesn't mean to talk about it or to do it from a distance. Paul is saying you need to partner with, befriend, and companion those who are lowly. In uh, Philippians uh, 2, it, uh, it says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus did not just say, I want y'all to live by compassion. It's good value. I'm just going to talk about it. He did it. He left what was comfortable and he came down to befriend, to partner, to, to commune with us um, in, in our lowly state. And that is what he is asking us to do. Paul is contrasting this associate, this befriend, companion, walk with, partner with. He's, he's contrasting that with being haughty or proud. And so we, we often think of pride as like your nose turned up and you're a real braggy. Have you ever seen somebody really walk around like that? I mean, they don't, they don't really walk around like that. You know, like pride is kind of this internal thing that oozes out. So there are a couple different ways here that, that we, can, we can look at this word being, being haughty or being proud. One is in thinking too highly of ourselves and the other is in thinking too lowly of ourselves, which is actually an inverted form of pride known as insecurity. And so either one of these extremes where we think too highly or we spend time thinking about how we're not adequate enough, both only think about us and both are forms of pride. 
So the two highly in this, this uh, valuing uh, and taking a value of compassion and actually doing it as a living sacrifice, if we think too highly, we might say things like, well, I can't relate to the lowly. I don't, I don't really have time. I might get dirty. They might mess mess up uh, my plan or my things. I'll contribute from a distance. I'll give just so, so others can be compassionate. Um, it's uncomfortable. All those sentences are about you, not the people we're called to serve. And then on the, on the contrast here, if you think too lowly about yourself, you might say to yourself, I'm not the right person. I can't relate, so I'd mess up. I don't know what to do. I'm inadequate, it's uncomfortable. All about you. Right? These are the things that Paul's saying, we don't live, um, we don't be haughty, whether it's too high or too low, but we associate. Doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable, it's gonna be. It's going to be uncomfortable. That doesn't make it wrong. When we uh, are uncomfortable, that means we are getting into the space where we get to watch God at work. So don't get comfortable in your belief about what compassion is or hide behind the value of it and just say it. When was the last time you actually got uncomfortable for Jesus? That you associated, partnered with, befriended, companioned someone who is lowly. Living sacrifices, we sacrifice comfort and we do compassion. We don't just talk about it. And the last phrase in this section that Paul says to us is he says, do not claim to be wiser than you are. Proverbs 3, 5 says, don't rely on your own insight. That's another way of saying it. What Paul's talking about here, he, he's saying, don't be confident in the sufficiency of your own wisdom. You ever think you're wise? Like you got, you got some stuff, you've lived some life, you got some insight, right? It, he's saying, ooh, maybe don't do that by yourself, right? Don't be wise by yourselves. I love how, how one of the commentaries said that. Don't be wise by yourselves um, in, in a way that, that thinks you're so wise and you put others down or you don't even take time to check in with people. But he also is addressing, don't be shy to communicate wisdom when you have it, when you have been given it. Don't shy away from it. Don't be, don't be wise by yourself and hide your wisdom because you don't wanna make waves, because you don't want to speak up. So there's two different things. If you have a direction, if you have an idea, it's, it's good to check in with people, whether this is, is here in the church, at your homes, out in the community, at businesses. If you've got an idea, check in with the people around you. See what they see. I can't tell you how many times I've had an idea and because I surround myself and I've got people who don't think like me, it has been a great thing to listen to them. <laughs> Because I would have just, whew, gone off the, like really gone off direction, right? I need the wisdom of others. And so when we have a direction, we check in and we humbly listen. We humbly take in their thoughts, their opinions, their ideas, their concerns, and before we make a decision. Now, on the other end of that, if you're listening to a direction or an idea being presented to you and you have an idea, you have a question, you have a thought, but you hold it in because you're so afraid to share it because of insecurity or fear, whatever it is, he's saying, don't do that either. You've gotta be able to share it. You've gotta get uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable for those of us who are very driven people to listen to others. And it can be uncomfortable for those of us who like to just kind of like internally process everything to speak up when we're needed to. And, and Paul is saying, don't claim to be wiser than you are. Don't be wise by yourself. 
We need wisdom from, to share and we need to hear it from others. So where are you speaking too much and not listening? Or where are you listening too much and not speaking? Living sacrifices, we sacrifice comfort to embrace humility to listen or courage to speak up. Are you uncomfortable yet? At first glance, you might have read this, this passage of scripture quickly, kind of like a checklist, and thought, I think I'm good. I think I'm pretty good there. But when we stop and stare at the words, and an image begins to emerge of ourselves that may not look quite like the image of Jesus that we thought that it did. And I'm saying this to myself too. You know, Paul calls us to be living sacrifices, not comfortable in our Christianity. He says, this is gonna cost you. It's not always gonna be comfortable. Living sacrifice means it's ongoing too. And this is the only way that people out there, out the world are going to see that we live different and it's gonna point them to the Father. So in your own life, what, which area, which area as the, as the Holy Spirit speaks today, which area is resonating in you? As a living sacrifice, we sacrifice comfort to extend blessing to others. Who do you need to bless that has not been easy to do? Living sacrifices sacrifice comfort to be present and extend peace to others. Who do you need to celebrate with instead of comparing? And who do you need to weep with and be present with them even though it makes you uncomfortable? Living sacrifices sacrifice, sacrifice comfort to get curious and value differences. Who is it around you that you begin to need to say, I need to value, even though they're different. I need to value them and I need to get curious about them so that I can get to know where they come from so I can point them to the Father. And living sacrifices, sacrifice comfort to do compassion. Have you been hiding behind the value of it? Have you actually associated with someone in a way that is not going to be easy and it will be a sacrifice. Is that something that the Lord is calling you to? And then living sacrifices, sacrifice comfort to embrace humility to listen or the courage to speak up. What settings do you need to stop talking and listen? And which settings do you need to begin speaking and not just listen? Remember, just like the auto stereogram, what what might you not recognize in your life until you view God's word properly, right? Do we view it really, do we look at it in just the right way so that we can view it properly, so that we can recognize what we need to see? When we allow the Holy Spirit to read these words that Paul gave us over our lives, when he reads it, does the image of a living sacrifice emerge? Or is there an area that he says, that doesn't look like Jesus and I need to do some work in you. Will you commit to doing that? Which area is the Holy Spirit inviting you to engage with those in and outside the church as a living sacrifice? Which area? And the harder question is, are you willing to do it? This is the gift we have, this invitation to be living sacrifices. Easy? Nope. Uncomfortable? Absolutely. And yet, that is where we will experience the power of God in ways we probably can't even imagine. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you so much for these, my brothers and sisters in you. 
Father, I thank you for Paul's words, his boldness to speak them so clearly. And Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who reads these words over our lives and says to us, this is the area that does not yet look like a living sacrifice, that doesn't represent Jesus well. Father, would you refine those places in us? Holy Spirit, will you bring them to mind? Will you give your people courage to live like living sacrifices when it is uncomfortable and not easy? We do it because we love you because you became uncomfortable for us. And in honor of that, we will do this for you. And Father, would we watch you make a dynamic impact in the people that we rub shoulders with at school or at work or in the community because we live as a living sacrifice to you. In your name, amen. This week, as you go, whether you're going to school, whether you're going to community, whether you're going to your workplace, would you live as a living sacrifice so that others might be pointed to the true Heavenly Father? Bless you as you go. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.